So thank you for being here. Um, you're obviously all fabulously hungry, awesome people who just want to do life better. And uh, we honour you for that. We are in uh, week three of our Ocean series. If you have been here for the last uh, two weeks leading up to today, I hope you've enjoyed it. I also hope that you've gotten something out of it. Um, the, the intention of this service is to ensure that we deliver something that's helpful, really, really helpful for life. And so our prayer is that you have found it helpful. If you haven't been here for the last two weeks, we uh, encourage you, like Jared said, to get online where you can actually hear the messages and, uh, and follow through with those so that you're up to speed. But um, what I really want to say is this, that um, we don't want to just listen to the messages. We want to actually work out what it is for me personally that I can apply and take into my world. And in order to do that, I need to listen, listen, listen again and then apply and apply and apply, yeah. And so we encourage you to do that. It's a journey. You can't come to a four-week series and, um, and experience transformation. None of us can. It would be easy to lose weight, get fit, and a whole lot of other stuff, right? That's not how it works. Our heart for you is that um, during this series that when life throws storms, and we know that it often does because the only predictable thing about life is that life is unpredictable, correct? We know that. And when life does throw a storm, our heart for you as a church and as a team is that you would fall over. That's okay. This is not about saying you're not allowed to have a meltdown. This is not about saying that strong, resilient people are people who never fall over because that would be unrealistic and that would set us all up for failure. This is about saying that when we face a storm in life and fall over, we can bounce not just back but bounce forward. We can learn from that experience and instead of wanting to run away, hide under the doona, do a runner, stay isolated, disassociate, feel crippled, anxious, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? I can't keep going. I've got to put life on hold until I sort this out. We want you to be a people who can get up and bounce forward and do it better the next time around, yeah? And so, um, if you, uh, we're going to throw up the, uh, the four keys that we're covering. If you were here for week one and week two, you'll realise that we covered, for, uh, on week one, redefining our values. And we looked at our value system, and like we said, you could get that online and go back and backtrack over that. Last week, we looked at our thinking patterns and we had a look at how our value systems play into and trigger our thinking patterns. Today we're looking at how both of those, our emotions, our thinking can then affect the way that we feel, affect us on an emotional level and next week we're looking at, okay great, given all of that, what can I do with all of those things that I have then discovered? Does that make sense? I am um, Last week, I um, was uh, running a, a training session for a group of people in my line of work, and um, it was a, a training session on effective communication skills. So I had a room full of people, and uh, I, I sort of like to, to start by going around the room and working out what people want to get out of the sessions. And so I go around and I say, introduce yourself, da-da-da-da-da, but what is your expectation for this session? And one of the guys who was in the session said, well, I've sort of um, been to about two or three effective communication workshops before. So I feel like I've got my head around it and I feel like I'm, you know, pretty good at it. So I guess what I'm looking to get out of today is um, something new. I'm looking to, to get something new so that I could, you know, 
do things differently, I guess. Something new is what I'm looking for. I thought, great, yep, no worries. We continue to go around. And this guy spent the next four hours sitting in the session going like this. And I went, far out. Really? Surely one of those three or four sessions on effective communication that you have attended have addressed body language as a form of communication, surely. Really? And I, and I looked at that and I looked at him. He was so distracting and I thought, surely I can't be that boring. But I was like, what is going on there? And I thought, what I want to take away from that for myself is this, is that I never want to be a person who's after the next best thing the next piece of information, the next new thing that I can grasp. I want to be a person who can actually do well with what I already have. And when I master that, I then want to move forward. And so I do pray that for each and every one of us tonight, that we're not here for the next best thing. Because you know what? I'm not going to tell you anything new tonight. <laughs> Let's face it. I'm going to tell you stuff you probably already know. I'm going to remind you about stuff you probably already know. And so it's not about the next best thing. It's about doing well with what we know. And so today, like I said, we're looking at our emotions. We're looking at our emotions. Probably a good place to start to actually define emotions. Emotions are feelings deriving from one's circumstances, mood or relationships with others. Now, you've probably um, come across these two little acronyms, EI or EQ, yeah, and so in the last couple of decades, intelligence has been less defined as how smart you are intellectually and how many university degrees you have, and intelligence has been more recently defined as a number of intelligences put together, of which emotional intelligence is one of those. And so EI is emotional intelligence and EQ is referred to as the intelligence quota, the emotional intelligence quota or quotient. And it says this, EI or EQ is the capacity of individuals to recognise their own and other people's emotions to discriminate between different feelings and label them appropriately, to use emotional information to guide thinking and behaviour and to manage and or adjust emotions to adapt environments or achieve one's goals. Because you see, when you and I face a storm in life, when life throws a curveball at us, it normally manifests itself on the emotional level, doesn't it? Yeah? I experience something and I feel it because my emotions react to that something or to that situation. And so, for example, if I experience, if life throws a storm at me that is in the form of loss, for example, yeah, my feelings will manifest by way of grief or sorrow, for instance. If life throws a storm at me by way of losing a job or veering in a different direction in any way that I hadn't expected, my feelings might manifest in the form of confusion or despair. How about if I experience a storm in a conflict situation? Then I might experience anger or the feeling of feeling victimised or alone or hard done by. But you see, how about if I experience a storm in relation to, 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 you know, discovering that someone's been gossiping about me or someone's been really mean behind my back and my feelings might manifest or show up in the form of feeling shocked, hurt, betrayed. But the bottom line is that there is a significant link between 
our emotions and the way that we manage those and our emotional resilience or our strength when life throws those curveballs, yeah? There was a guy um, in the Bible that I want to cover in just a second who, uh, who went through an incredible storm, an incredible storm potentially that you and I would never face, the magnitude of his storm, and his name is Job. But before I, uh, I read his story up on the screen in a minute, I just want to preface it with this. When you and I encounter storms in life, our resilience and our strength determines how we play out in those storms, correct? Because if I am hard done by, if I am downtrodden, if I'm flat, if I'm completely overwhelmed, if I've got nothing left in the tank, then I don't have the emotional or the mental capacity to actually face that storm and make good decisions, do I? If I am not well and I'm emotionally charged and I'm just, you know, not in a good place, chances are I'm going to say and do things that don't end up playing out so well. And I'm going to find myself in a situation where I'm freaking out even more because I've created more complications because I've said and done things that I shouldn't have said and done, yeah? And so with that in mind, let's have a look at Job and let's have a look at his situation. He was struck with some um, significant um, afflictions on the health front, on the family front, on the work front. And so we pick up here in chapter 2 in relation to an affliction a physical affliction, a health affliction that he experienced. And it says this, Job was struck with some loathsome boils and agonizing painful sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So something was growing on his body. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself. It must have been so insanely itchy and sore, right? And he sat among the ashes. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, for they had made an appointment together to come and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance and did not recognize him because he was disfigured, they raised their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe in grief and they threw dust over their heads towards the sky in sorrow. So they sat down on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his pain was very great. It paints a very disturbing picture, doesn't it? They sat in silence for seven days just weeping and sympathising and empathising with their buddy. But his pain was so significant that they barely recognised him. He physically changed in form. Pretty intense, right? And so you see, our emotions cripple us. Our emotions have the capacity to derail us. And so am I here tonight to tell you how to eliminate the impact of emotions in your world? Am I here tonight to tell you how to eliminate emotions, unhealthy emotions in your world? No. I'd be completely naive to do that because there is no such thing. However, what I'm here to share tonight is this that you and I have the capacity to manage and regulate our emotions so that they no longer control us, so that they no longer dictate what we do and how life plays out for us. And so in saying that, I want to unpack six principles that we'll cover one by one. Let me work through them, uh, mention them briefly, and then I'm going to unpack each one. Firstly, 
What do we do to regulate our emotions? Number one, we need to label our emotions correctly. Number two, we need to leverage our imagination. Three, we need to live with the tension. Four, let trusted people in. Five, look for healthy distractions. And six, lay it down. What does that all mean? Let me start at the start. Labeling our emotions. See, you and I have this habit, or maybe it's just me, this habit where we can grossly exaggerate and generalize the way that we feel about a situation or generalize a situation. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, I had a friend who um, had this crazy situation play out for her, but um, working mum, working husband, and uh, one morning, dad goes off to work, and they've got a little boy who's eight months old, and um, she's off to work, and she's doing the mad frantic run in the morning, and so she grabs her baby and, you know, in the car, straps him in, in the car seat, throws her bag down on the seat, you know, all safe and sound, close the door, out she runs. Oh, my goodness. She's left her bag on the front seat, closed the door, and the car's just gone into auto lock. And so her bag's in there, her phone's in there, her keys are in there, the baby's in there. It's a really hot summer's morning and she's like, oh my goodness, what do I do? And so um, no phone to make phone calls, no anything. So she's frantically going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Anyway, she decides to knock at one of the neighbor's houses and she says, this is the situation, can I use your phone to ring my husband? So she rings her husband and he's like, I'm an hour away, he would die and suffocate by the time I got there, look for plan B. And so the neighbor suggested this grand plan And so to cut a long story short, they landed in their little residential court, the ambulance, the fire brigade and the police, (laughs) talk about a scene early in the morning and um, I guess the police turned up to make sure that she hadn't done it on purpose and uh, the ambulance turned up to make sure that the little boy was all right after being in a hot swelting car for however long it took them to get there. But when she was relaying this story to us as her girlfriends, she was like, oh my gosh, and this and this and this and this and we're all listening going, oh. You poor thing, you poor thing. And she says, I felt like such a bad mum. And that was okay. We all listened to that, walked away. And then later I thought to myself, wow, you know, being a bad mum is is completely irrelevant to that situation because being a bad mum would be about doing that on purpose. But that just happened by accident. And so wouldn't wouldn't it have been more constructive to say, next time I'm going to put the keys to the car in my back pocket. But you see, you and I generalise situations and we go, we label ourselves and we label the situation and we're all over that. And so what actually happens is that we end up walking around with what looks like this. We end up walking around and we go, oh, I'm such a bad mum. I can't believe I did that. I failed again. And we walk around with failure stuck on us. And then we go, I just have no idea what to do in this situation. I have no idea what to do. I'm so sick of being between a rock and a hard place and we walk around with stuck all over us. Or we go, when am I ever going to get that right? Like, honestly, you know, the average person learns after the first or second lesson, but me, I'm just so stupid. And we walk around with stupid written all over us. Or we go, you know what, my husband's staying back at work. He doesn't come home on time. You know, and I'm just really over it, but I guess what that means is that I'm really unloved or another situation and we say this stuff and we walk around with hopeless or another situation and we go I can't believe it I'm so sick and tired of this happening I'm so sick and tired of nothing good going on for me I don't even know what to do and so I feel defeated 
on and on it goes. Or we go, this situation, sometimes we don't even need to say the words. We just imply it. And we go, this situation, I just don't know what to do. Like, honestly, I'm just, like, I'm just so scared. And we walk around with fearful written on us. You get the picture. Or we go, no one ever listens to me. I think I have good ideas to bring to the table. And I say them, but no one even makes eye contact and they just move on to, like, the next person and go, well, does anyone else have any other ideas? And then we walk around with unvalued. Or how about this one? A friend tells us that God loves us and we go, that can't be right because they're obviously just saying that because it's the right thing to say. But if they knew what goes on in my private world, there'd be no way. And we walk around with unworthy. You know, I look really stupid right now, but do you actually realise that these are the imprints that sit on us that we take everywhere we go as we label ourselves in this way? And psychologists tell us that when we label ourselves in this way and we walk around like this, at some point when we reinforce these things, they end up sitting deep within our core and affecting our identity. And apparently, psychology clinics are full of people who are there because they have identity issues as a result of this. And so you and I need to watch our labels. You see, watching our labels is crucially important for other reasons as well. Watching our labels is important because sometimes using one word can give us insight into what's really going on in our life. You know, we sort of label ourselves as though we've got a vocabulary of 20 words. (laughs) But there's so many other ways that we could label our situation. And so here's some examples. This is not the be all and end all, but here's some ideas. For example, I might say, I feel really angry. But actually, what I'm really saying is, I have a need for power or self-esteem. Or we might say, I feel really anxious about this. I'm a bit worried, you know. But what we're really saying is, I have a need for desired outcomes. We might be saying, I feel really bored. Really bored. But what we might really be saying is, I have a desire to do what I enjoy and experience is increased commitment or envy. We might go, I feel really jealous. I feel really envious. But what we might really be saying is I'm dissatisfied with what I have. The list goes on. Let me rush you through them. I might feel lonely. Or I might call it that. But really, it's a need for connection. I might have a pride situation going on and going, oh, my ego feels so wounded. But really, I just need to be noticed. Rejection. Maybe that translates into longing to be accepted by myself and by others as well. Maybe I can say that I'm fearful, I feel so frightened, but really, what it really is, is that I, need, I have a need for predictability. Or maybe my feeling might say that I feel really unsettled, but what I might really be saying is the need for control. I might be bitter, I might feel bitter, but it might really be that I have a desire for revenge. Or finally, And this is not a conclusive list. I might feel really irritated. You know that feeling of really irritated? But when I delve deeper into that and go, what am I really feeling? What's the real label here? What's the insight that I can gain from this situation? What is really going on? It might be that actually I have a frustration because I've got something to say, but I know that it's not appropriate to say. And so you see, when we put our emotions up there like this and find the right labels for them, 
Not only does it give us insight into the real issue, but we end up owning them. Because you see, if I say, I feel really irritated because he made me feel really irritated because he always does that and it irritates me and he should know that it irritates me. There's no ownership in that, is there? There's no ownership. I'm like at a loss with that. I'm the victim in that situation. But if I go, you know what, I feel really irritated because that situation, I didn't like it. I've got things to say and I'm really irritated because I can't really say them. I own that. I own that. I can then do something with it because it's my issue, my response. Because you see, no one can make us feel anything. Our feelings are our personal choice. People can do things that disturb us and upset us and hurt us and frustrate us. But they can't make us feel anything. What I feel is my responsibility. And so, the next time you feel something, label it. Don't walk around like this. I know it's a scary sight, but I hope you see this in your visual imagery. Just going, I don't want to walk around like that. But you see, I, I probably should really say as well that when we talk about emotions like this, we go, whoa, steer away from emotions. They're really scary. They're really mean. Oh, my gosh, I don't like emotions. But actually, we need to begin to see our emotions and our feelings as our friends. You know why? Because they alert us to the things in our life that need our attention. Because when I go, I'm so scared, I'm frightened, I tap into that and I can take that emotion and go, thank you so much, friend, because you have just alerted me to the fact that fear is functioning in my life and I can now look into that and do something with it. Are you with me? Yeah. Secondly, what do we do to be more emotionally resilient people and face the storms of life well? Leverage our imagination. What do I mean by that? You and I know very well that the things that we dwell on in our mind, the things that we give attention to in our mind end up creating our emotional responses, right? You see, the situations that just happen and we can just float by and, and, and move on, move on with, you know, they don't necessarily frustrate us as much as the situations that we dwell on. Because when we dwell on things, suddenly it was one incident and now it's a big long movie with a sequel <laughs> and it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah? You think about it. Let's just say you have a conflict with someone. You have conflict with someone and it just didn't work out the way you expected it to work out that night. And on your drive home, you're like turning into Spielberg. Movie making. I do it too. And we go, oh, if only I said that. I had the best response, but for some reason I was tongue-tied. You know what? Far out. I hate the way that I can't think quickly on my feet. And why didn't I say that? Why didn't I think that? Oh, shall I go back? No, maybe I shouldn't. You know, shall I let it lie? Shall I... It's no wonder when we get home we want to punch a wall, right? Because <laughs> we've just played this up so badly in our head that it has now turned into mega. That our emotions are just so massively flaring up because we've imagined them. We've allowed them to grow legs and arms and go for their life. And so we need to leverage our imagination. We need to leverage our imagination for good or for bad. But we do. There's this, a piece of uh, scripture up there from the Bible um, that is from a book called Corinthians, the second part of Corinthians, chapter 10 and verse 5, and it says this, casting down imaginations and every high thing 
that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity. That is like going, yep, you know what? Where are you, defeated? I take you off me. I eyeball you and I go, you know what? I don't think so. And I replace that defeated thought with something else. And that's what we spoke about last week. So that's the second one, leveraging our imagination. Thirdly, we need to learn to live with the tension. We need to learn to live with the tension. Because let me tell you this, human beings have a way of feeling like when life throws a storm and when life's really tough, we just can't move on until we have a solution to our problem. I hear people say it all the time. I feel so much better when this is sorted. I'll be able to get on with it. No, you won't because then there'll be something else that needs to be sorted as well because that's just how it works. And so you and I need to be able to live with the tension and say, even if there is no solution to this situation, while there's not, I'm going to get up and show up. I'm going to get on with life. I'm going to keep doing what I need to do because somehow we feel like, you know, we're, emotionally indebted to our emotions like you you know well I can't pretend like it's not happening because it is happening and you know that would be really loyal to my poor emotions like you know that would be abandoning them (laughs) and we think like this we need to be able to live with the tension that we can still do life whilst we've got stuff going on that is okay you see we have a very skewed understanding of what healthy living looks like We think that healthy living and good mental state means an equilibrium like this. That's not what it is. You know, healthy people have highs and lows, so long as the lows aren't lows for too long and too bad. And if they are, that's where we go, you know what, apply some of this. But absolutely go the next level and get get some professional help. But you see, healthy living is about the highs and the lows. That's just how we humans do it, and that is okay it amazes me the number of times I chat with people and they say oh you know Susie I've had such a a flat bad week or you know whatever it might be and it's just been really hard and I go I totally hear you I get that you know I have flat weeks as well and they go really do you but you're so upbeat and I feel like saying well I'm really sorry that I've basically fooled you all this time that we've known each other but yes me too In fact, every single one of us walking the globe, all of us, no one is constantly like this. That would be under the influence of something, right? And not even then. Healthy living is about knowing what the lows feel like so that we can appreciate the highs. In fact, it would be very unhealthy living if we had constant highs because we'd have no need for anyone else. We'd be so incredibly self-righteous, so incredibly self-sufficient. I mean, God will park him on the side. Who needs him if everything's always going right? It is healthy to have lows. No one is a constant. No one is a constant. And so it's just sometimes about putting one foot before the other and showing up. I don't always have to be in euphoria. I can feel really lousy sometimes and that's okay. You are not weak. You are not unusual. I want to um, give you one uh, quick little strategy to use to help us to manage the tension. If you were here last week, you would have heard that we spoke about managing our thinking patterns and our mental pathways. 
And that the more we reinforce a certain thinking pattern, the more we embed that into our neural pathway and the more that becomes second nature to us. And so a little exercise that links a visual with the mental connection is this. I've got a rubber band around my wrist and it's literally just a number of times a day forming a habit of going, I can live with the tension. And to flick it, I can live with the tension. I can live with the tension. Doing that over and over again each day for 21 days will create a new mental pathway that convinces you that you can actually do life even if you're not feeling fabulous. You know, um, I caught up with, um, or I didn't catch up with her as we were at a, uh, I was at an event where I met a friend of a friend and we got chatting and um, she is a beautiful Christian girl married to a gorgeous Christian guy as well and they've got um, one of their daughters, age 10, has cerebral palsy and at the age of 10 she hasn't stepped a, a step in her life, hasn't walked and hasn't said a word in her life. Pretty pretty sad situation. And so this mum was just sharing with me and just telling me that it's, you know, hard and she's just, you know, just constantly in this place of just going, why and how come and it's hard and, you know, all of that. Anyway, so we had a really fabulous chat and then I just happened to mention the rubber band situation and uh, about how she can actually get on with life. She had that feeling going on where life had to be parked because it's all about this and I can't really do that if this is going on type thing. And uh, I met her about a couple of months ago and um, actually I met her in the car park somewhere and, um, and she hopped out and she goes, oh my gosh, Susie, you won't believe it. I've still got the rubber band on my wrist. Do you actually know that I have done this for like weeks? And seriously, it has changed the way that I am thinking about things. I'm like a completely different person. I, I totally, when you told me that, I was like, really? That can't be? But I'm like, I'm telling you, like, really? Uh, like, I'm a testimony. And I thought, wow, cerebral palsy, little girl, really tough circumstances. And so, you know what? If we apply little things in our world, if we just give them a go, and if they don't work, you know what? No great loss, right? But if they do, we're way better ahead. And we need to develop that. We need to develop that, you know what? I want to try new things. I'm all over this. I want to see change in my life. I want to see difference in my future. I want to be different. I want to behave differently. I want to face life storms differently and I'm ready to try anything. Because if someone said, if you, if you drink green shakes for a month, you know, you'll, it'll be a good detox, we'll try it if we're keen on getting healthy. But sometimes it just pulls back to how keen we are to actually go, I'm all over this. I do want to do life well the next time it hits me with a storm. The next one is, Look for healthy distractions. Look for healthy distractions. Have you ever noticed that when life throws a storm, you and I can become really self-obsessed? Like it's all about me. It's like I become the centre of the universe. This is not you. This is me. This is all of us. Because I feel like my problem is all-consuming. And I get so self-obsessed. In fact, we get so self-obsessed that we get caught in a rut. We get caught in this rut that we just go around and around and around ourselves. And so we need healthy distractions. We need to look for things that are, one, going to break that rut, two, going to give us some respite and give us a rest. But more than that, I want to share with you an excerpt out of this um, book called The Volunteer Revolution, written by Bill Hybels. Some of you may know Bill Hybels. 
And uh, I just want to read you this excerpt. This is one more reason why you and I can become emotionally resilient by looking for healthy distractions in our world. And if you would allow me to read this to you, please. It says, on a radio talk show, I recently heard that retired men who volunteer one day a week live two and a half times longer than retired men who don't volunteer at all. Alan Lux, the author of The Healing Power of Doing Good, describes the very real physical benefits that accrue to those who engage in consistent face-to-face service to others. Lux makes it clear that when we persuade someone else to volunteer face-to-face, we are giving an enormous gift, much like a membership to a health club. Helping others offers long-term benefits, health benefits, including relief from back pain and headaches, lowered blood pressure and cholesterol, and curbed overeating and alcohol and drug abuse. Lux coined this term, the helper's high, to describe the emotional well-being experienced by volunteers. Brain scientists at Emory University have discovered a scientific reason for the helper's high. Apparently, choosing to cooperate with others activates an area of the brain rich in dopamine, the chemical that produces the pleasurable sensation activated by certain drugs and other addictive behaviour. And so when people say that serving others makes me feel good, their statement may have more of a scientific basis than they realise. So what can you do? What can you do to get outside yourself when you're in that place? Because you see, human nature tends to isolate, to withdraw, to go, I'm just going to sit in a corner until this is sorted and then I'll come back out. But if we can actually release healthy hormones into our body by stepping outside of ourselves, wouldn't you think that was a good idea? What can you do? Not just for others, but for yourself. And sometimes I don't feel like going out and doing something that replenishes me when I'm not feeling good. But there are benefits associating with pushing myself and going that next level. The fifth one is let trusted people in. You see, when we read about Job earlier, he let his buddies come into his personal space. They just hung with him for seven days. They just came in, they supported We read that they empathised and sympathised with him, just hung with him. They didn't say much. They didn't have much wisdom by the sounds of that. I mean, I didn't read anywhere in that piece of, of, of scripture that they had sound advice or ran therapy sessions or anything like that for him. They were just buddies who just hung in silence and just sat with him for seven days. Let people into your world. There's a reason why there's 16 billion people on the earth, right? Because God created us for partnership. God created us for community. There's nothing weak. There's nothing needy about letting people into our space and going, I need help right now. And finally, if we want to be a people who are emotionally resilient and face the storms of life well, we need to lay it down. We need to lay it down. You see, you and I can get so loyal to our emotions we can get so loyal to our emotions and it's like well you know I just have to take it with me everywhere I go because you know because I want to leave it at home because you know like what if like something happens while I'm not there to it and I really need to nurture this and look after it and so we just get self-obsessed with our emotions and our issues and we feel like well come along come along yeah you're heavy yeah you're annoying but come along because I have to take you with me 
And that's what we do. That's what we do. We feel like we're offending them if we leave them behind. Like they're people that are going to get offended. So we drag them along everywhere we go. And when we do that, we just can't break that bondage. We can't break that that influence that they have over us. We can't break that partnership that they have with us. That unhealthy partnership that they have with us. But I wonder whether the fact that we need to drag them around everywhere speaks of other trust issues that we might have. Because you see, I would never leave my kids with someone I didn't trust. That would be silly, irresponsible, negligent. But I would leave my kids with someone I trusted and I'd be totally fine with that. But if I had no one that I trusted, I'd be dragging them around everywhere, wouldn't I? And so I wonder, I wonder whether the fact that we need to drag our issues and emotions with us everywhere we go just really speaks of the fact that we don't trust them to God. That we can't just leave them there and go, right, you look after them, I'll be back, I'm just going to have a break. I know that dragging them with me, you know, isn't really helping, so you stay there with God. Issues, feelings. But sometimes we feel like if we leave them there, something might happen that we don't want to happen. <laughs> there might be an outcome that we're not really wanting over there and if I'm not there to look after it and sort of manage it and make sure it all works out the way I want it to, then what then? Because you know what? You and I experience stressful situations in our world. If we were to pull it all back, it's because we want to control the outcomes on things. We want something to play out and our tension comes from the fact that it's not playing out or it might not play out. Can I say something that's a little bit harsh? But I say it to myself first. Sometimes we can become control freaks with our emotions and our storms. You're coming with me, you're coming with me. I mean, this is insane. If I was to give you another visual for that, imagine travelling. When I travel and I take my bags, I'm like lugging this heavy bag like this, right? And there is nothing more soothing (laughs) and nothing more freeing than putting it on that conveyor belt and seeing it go off into in-flight luggage. Checking it in, right? But what we do with our emotions is like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. I'll take my bag with me. Oh, but it, it looks heavy. It's 30 kilos. No, 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 it's fine. I'll take it with me. And then we meet the flight attendant and she says, oh, ma'am, you know, there's only a, a, a 10, 10 kg luggage allowance. Oh, no, 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 it's got to come with me. It's got to come with me. Well, well do you want to, like, put it in overhead, like, you know, in the overhead compartment? No, 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 I'll put it on my lap. Really? You won't be comfortable? No, 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 it's fine on my lap. But you won't be able to have conversations with the passenger. Beside. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll just talk through the back. I mean, who does that? But yet we do that with our emotions. It's like they've got to come everywhere. And so here's what I want to say. That tonight God is inviting you to actually get that bag full of storms, full of emotions, and just leave it here. You can go home without it. That's okay. Because he's got it. It's safe. And whatever happens to it is good for you and is good for me. Is it always going to look like the outcome we have in mind? Maybe not. But if it's not, it's going to be better than what we have in mind. Because we are so small-minded and our solutions to our problems are way off the mark in comparison to what God has for our situations. And so tonight we want to invite you to leave the bag here. Lay it down. Lay 
it down. We can stop getting fixated with our emotions and our storms. That's okay. It's not disloyal. It's okay. It's freeing and it's good. There's a piece of a verse in the Bible in a book called Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7 and it says this. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, your emotions, and your mind, your thinking. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. And so if we want to be emotionally resilient, We need to let it go. We need to lay it down. And we can do that by communicating with God through prayer. And finally, just as I close, I just want to come back to the Bible piece that uh, we read earlier because uh, Job had a wife who had a grand idea. Her idea was this. It's going to come up on the screen in just a minute and I'm going to read it out to you. She had a grand idea. He was struggling, life was tough. We saw that picture painted earlier. And she says this to him. Then his wife said to him, do you still cling to your integrity and your faith and trust in God without blaming God? I've got a great idea, she says. You should just curse God and die. But Job says to her, you speak as one of one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept only good from God and not accept adversity and disaster? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. That's in chapter 2. His wife was trying to talk him into chucking in the towel because it was pretty dark. He chose not to do that. And we can fast forward 40 chapters in the book of Job and then we read this. It says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning and he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days. You see... If Job had chucked in the towel and taken his wife's advice, sometimes wifey advice is really good though, but not in this instance. But if he had taken his wife's advice, he would have missed out on an incredible destiny. He would have missed out on the best that God had for him. But you see, because he decided that he was going to persevere, that he was going to live with the tension, he was going to let his buddies in, he was going to lay it down and surrender it, he ended up with an outcome that gave him double for his trouble. He ended up with an outcome that gave him more than he could have ever imagined. I reckon at this point he would have been saying, I'm so glad that I left that bag over there because, man, my ideas of how this should eventuate were pretty different to how it worked out in the end. And I reckon that he would have been thrilled that he left that bag over there. And so for you and I tonight,
Should you leave that bag behind? And should you somehow within you get excited for a future that has an incredible destiny in it, much like the one that Job saw after much, much affliction? Yeah. Shall we stand to sing our final song?